that we now live in a world where Steve Harvey is a motivational speaker. Like, I was on Instagram and I was watching this video of a young woman walking through the woods. Uh, the video was in black and white and there was some somber music playing. And then all of a sudden, you hear Steve Harvey's voice. <laughs> I'm horrible at impressions, so forgive me. It's like, don't hate the player, hate the game. That's my best Cleveland accent I can do. This is the money game. You heard me? I'm like, this, this? This This is what holistic people are listening to every morning to get their day started? Just a little bit of uh, Folgers coffee and some Steve Harvey? When I was growing up in the 90s, we had the Steve Harvey show. Not the talk show but his sitcom that he had on the WB where he played Steve Hightower. Uh, Wendy Raquel uh, uh, Robinson was on it. Uh, so was Cedric the Entertainer. And um, uh, that other woman that was on, um, she's also a funny comedian too. She played, uh, she played his wife, Cedric the Entertainer's wife. Rather, let me see here real quick. Let me see here because I don't want to disrespect nobody. So this is who was on the Steve Harvey show. Steve Harvey as Steve Hightower. Cedric the Entertainer as Cedric Jackie Robinson. Wendy Raquel Robinson, like I said, and Terry J. Vaughn. Hilarious. Um, Marlon Santana played Romeo Santana. Rest in peace. Hilarious. William Lee Scott played Stanley Bullethead. Kuznoki. Okay. His, he, he was just known as Bullethead on the show. My girl, Lloyd Beth Denberg, who was originally the first cast member of the Nickelodeon hit All That. She played a student, a white student, at the school. Hilarious show. So that's what I grew up with. I grew up with Steve Hightower. High top fades, Technicolor zoot suits, and a goofy smile. He literally looked like a toasted Mr. Potato Head. But this is one of the reasons why I can't take Steve Harvey 100% seriously. Story time. When I lived in New York um, around 2016, 2017, uh, I auditioned for a little TV show called Showtime at the Apollo. Now, this was the recent iteration that they did that I think came out in 2017, 2018 on Fox. And it was going to be hosted by the illustrious Steve Harvey. Because, you know, Steve Harvey hosts 16,000 days in one day. Uh, so when I auditioned, I blew it away. I, I The producers loved me. Uh, the little audience that was there, the other auditionees, they loved me. Um... So I basically knew that I was going to get the gig. But then, a few days later, I got a phone call where I had to do a pre-screening interview to show that I was willing to sell out on television. So the first thing that they asked me was to show how excited I would be to finally meet Broderick Stephen Harvey in person. So they got another comedian, uh... And uh, it was a friend of mine, Ken Boyd from Houston. Hilarious cat. He did a fantastic job on the show. Too bad the show was canceled. Now, in 2022, we have Instagram hoes using Steve Harvey as a beacon 
of daily affirmations. Times have changed when Steve Harvey has become a modern day Socrates. It's interesting how much we listen to people uh, who have money. I don't know. Um, now Steve Harvey's known for Family Feud. Uh, he's known for Steve. Not to be confused with his other talk show, The Steve Harvey Show. Not to be confused with his sitcom, The Steve Harvey Show. But Steve and uh, his stepdaughter, Lori Harvey, who's famous for being Steve Harvey's stepdaughter. You know, you know you're famous when people around you are famous because they're around you. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, like I said, I grew up big fan of Steve Harvey's stand-up. Uh, big fan of Steve Harvey's TV show on the WB. That was the time where the WB actually had black shows. Because you have to understand something. Back in the day, like everything else that they're doing now, uh, black people make things pop. So every time a new network would come out, they would front load it with a bunch of black shows to get us to watch. And then once they got the numbers, then they started canceling our shit and putting on shows like Friends and Seinfeld and shit. Because um, like with NBC, you had the Cosby Show. UPN, you had uh, a whole lineup. You had uh, the Parkers. Um, what else? Um, um, In the House with LL Cool J, I think. Um I can't remember, everyone hates Chris, I guess, I don't know, I can't remember all the black shows, all I know, I, they got rid of them because the WB and the UPN came together and uh, became the CW, oh, Girlfriends, Girlfriends was on, uh, was on UPN, um, but yeah, we, we, in the 90s, we had a shit ton of black shows, and it wasn't that the shows were black, it wasn't, you were watching the show, you were like, oh shit, this is the black show, it was just a show about people living their lives and they happened to be black. We were able to see black doctors and black uh, disc jockeys and and, and, and uh, big brothers, big black, big brothers, big sisters, mechanics, um, teachers, snack uh, vendors. Um, I had a bunch of shows that I loved growing up. I used to watch uh, Family Matters. And the Fresh Prince, uh, which are two black shows that you can tell were written by white writers. You can tell which shows were written by white writers and which ones were written by black writers. Like, for example, Martin, Martin felt black. Like, there was things that they said, oh, Martin, that was black. The show Martin, they were very proud. They were very proud of their African-American heritage. Every episode, there, there was some homage to, like, a Muhammad Ali or, like, a Richard Pryor or or a Luther Vandross or, like, some... or a Maya Angelou or some type of uh, black icon. Same thing with the Cosby show. Same thing with The Different World. It was, it, was, it was a meaty homage to black excellence on those shows. Um, when you got the shows, like, the Fresh Prince, you know, The Fresh Prince was cool. It was a good show. But you could tell it was very much like the writers are trying to tell their stories through black people. I mean, it's like I understood it because Uncle Phil was like, a, first of all, rest in peace, Uncle Phil. Uh, he was he was a, a domineering force. He really cared about his family. You know, he made money. He made sure his kids were taken care of. He took in well and all that stuff. But it got to a point with the character of Carlton in particular. I think Carlton, the way he was presented on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was a disservice to uh, to us, to us black nerds. Because they really made Carlton seem like that he was incompetent in everything that had to do with life. Right? And you can see that progression. Like When, when they switch from... Uh, dark skin Aunt Viv to light skin Aunt Viv, and that's when that's when Fresh Prince starts to get a little goofy, right? Like when 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 Janet Hubert was on, when dark skin Aunt Viv was on, you know, she really the show was more grounded. When it came to Carlton, for example, Carlton was a smart kid. He was just bougie and stuck up and thought he was better than 
than Will because Will was from the hood, right? And and I was like, okay, I can understand that character. I get I get that character. He's not dumb. He's just an asshole. But then once we got to the light skin Aunt Viv, uh, Daphne Reed, I think her name is. Once we get to the light skin Aunt Viv, then that's when Carlton became stupid. It's like, how do you go from being a valedictorian to being a retard? Like, it, it didn't it didn't make any sense to me. And, of course, I think it was done to make Will look like he was a Casanova. Because, you know, every woman on The Fresh Prince wanted to date Will Smith for some reason. Uh, and Carlton got no bitches, which... In reality, living in Los Angeles for the five or six years that I've been living in Los Angeles, I think that's that's not true at all. But as many rich black people, black dudes around here that be fucking these white 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 women, Carlton would be cleaning house as the only black dude at Beller Academy, and he's rich. Man, he would have been running through those white hoes, not playing chess and hanging out in math club. I mean, he will be doing that stuff too, but he will be getting the stuff wet. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you could just tell. And there was just some, there was just some, some mayonnaise in those scripts. The same thing with Family Matters. Family Matters started off okay, but then when it got to like, like this is how you could tell that white people wrote Family Matters. There were there was a uh, episode where the Winslows were talking about what vacation they wanted to go on, and Grandma Estelle stood up and said, "Why don't we go down to Tennessee and visit Graceland, the birthplace of Elvis?" Said no black person ever, especially an old black person, because old black people knew Elvis stole shit. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, speaking of black shows. I went to see The Woman King. I went to see it uh, two Saturdays ago, actually. And, um, look, there's going to be a little bit of spoilers in my discussion. So if you don't want spoilers and you want to actually go see The Woman King, make sure, just, I don't know, fast forward or whatever. Um, or put it on silent and let the episode play through so I can get the views on YouTube. Thank you very much. Um, so I went to see The Woman King. And, um, don't worry, this is going somewhere. This leads into the subject of this episode. First, I want to say, The Woman King as a film, as cinema, fantastic. I enjoyed The Woman King quite a bit. Um, to be honest with you, I love everything that Viola Davis does. For some reason, I have a strong connection to Viola's characters. Um, every time I see her, it makes it feel like that I'm watching a, 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 a an aunt or like a wife or a mother or a boss or a colleague. I mean, I just feel it's it feels like I know a Viola Davis. You know what I mean? Like like every time I see her, she's 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 somebody in my world. So I appreciate uh, Viola for that. Um, in this movie, she's fucking amazing. She's she's the character that really kept me hooked to the whole movie. Now, my boy John Boyega, uh, he rocked out. He rocked out with the scock out. You know, I'll forgive that Tyler Perry wig that he had on in the movie. But uh, he, uh, he was great. I've been rocking with John Boyega since... Attack the Block. If you haven't seen Attack the Block, make sure you check that movie out. It's a British film. I, I'm not sure if it's John Boyega's debut uh, movie performance, but yo, he fucking killed it in Attack the Block, and he killed it in this movie, too. Fucking, just the way that John Boyega acts through his eyes, his stoic presence that he has in this movie, I amazing. Um, when you actually watch John Boyega and see how good of an actor he actually is, it really makes you hate the Star Wars sequels more. Um, 
considering how much they wasted his abilities and they wasted the opportunities that they could have used him for. Because I'm telling you, in this movie, he really killed it. He was not wasted at all in this film. I mean, in the previews, you make it seem like he's only there as like a guide here or there. But no, this this cat was, was through the whole movie. I look forward to um, seeing more of him and maybe even working with him one day. Um, he was he was essential to the central plot. Um, and uh, last but not least, I think it's hilarious that there was a nation in Africa called Dahomey. I'm just saying. Hilarious. Um, so, I went to see the movie in 4DX at the Regal North Hollywood Theater. And if you don't know what 4DX is, it's basically a Disneyland ride at the movies. Um, the seats move, they shoot out water, fog, you know, they really make you feel like you're a part of the movie. Like, in, every time someone got their throat slit on in the film and blood would shoot out, uh... Water would shoot out the seats and it make you feel like you got hit by some blood, right? Anytime anyone got stabbed in the movie, they had these, uh, like these things in the seats that would like stab you in the back and shit. So it felt like you were getting stabbed. Um, there was a part where, uh, uh, a woman slapped by her father and when she got slapped, the seats like tilted to the side, like we were getting slapped too. Um, when it got to the slave part, you know, chains came out and, like, held us down. You know? Like, it really made us feel like we were a part of the story. I'm going to go see another movie in, um, in 4DX because it did kind of make me sick and it was unnecessary. Like, how am I supposed to eat my popcorn and uh, peanut M&Ms if they're flying all over the place? Um, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was a very interesting experience, uh, to say the least, to see a black-ass movie and uh, seats that moved. Now, as far as, now, like I was saying, the movie itself is amazing. Great movie. But as far as an accurate depiction of history, it's 1,555,000% bullshit. Um, unfortunately, almost everything in the movie is false. Uh, they have an opening scroll uh, at the beginning of the movie where they say that the Dahomey tribe is trying to end slavery. The slave trade was the number one source of income for the Dahomey tribe. Line sinker. That's, that's, that's what really happened. So the fact that they started the movie out by saying that the Dahomey are trying to avoid being involved in the slave trade, absolutely false. Uh, the truth of the matter is that, is that they slaughtered men, women, and children of other tribes brutally, sold those kept alive to the British until the British put an end to their transatlantic slave trade so that the homie made an alliance with the Portuguese to send slaves to Brazil and Cuba. And it got so bad uh, as far as the homies' involvement in the slave trade and their greed that they ended up uh, fighting the French because the French were trying to the French were, try, were trying to get them to stop. I mean, they were trying to colonize the Dahomey as well, but they tried to get them to stop. So they they fought two wars. They fought two wars: the French Dahomeyan Wars, parts one and two. So I'm thinking, if they do make a sequel to the Woman King, maybe the sequel should be called the Woman King, the French. The Homian Wars and the Woman King end slavery game. So someone needs to get the the producers on the phone right now. I think uh, I think I've cracked the code um, to a uh, slavery cinematic universe. So to the homie, they literally sold out other Africans. That's the truth. They're basically the Candace Owens of Africa. So naturally, a lot of black folks on black Twitter, hoteps, herteps, and so-called academics are miffed by the inaccuracies. 
Uh, hashtag boycott woman king was trending for about three weeks or even a little bit more before the movie came out on Twitter. And to be honest with you, I personally understand both sides. Um, to put into perspective, the woman king story was written by two white women, Dana Stevens and Maria uh, Bello. And for those that don't necessarily understand the writing process, a story by credit is the process of putting the elements together for the script. So you can write uh, like a treatment, you can write a one page, you can get together and write some ideas down on napkins. But as long as two people are actually coming together to uh, discuss and build the structure of the story, that's what a story by credit is. And it more than likely involves writing because a lot of people were saying oh only one person wrote the script yes that's true only one person wrote the script but two people actually got together and came up with the story which involves writing which involves research which involves exchanging ideas it's not as easy as some people think now the script itself uh which is when the story elements the thematic elements of the story is put into screenplay format that the studio director and actors, producers, etc., etc., can all go off of to get the movie made. Um, the script was written by Dana Stevens. You know, I can't uh, pass up the opportunity to say that um, this is kind of an example of how some white feminist activists try to downplay the wrongs that women have done in history uh, for the sake of pushing the uh, the message of empowerment and equality. Um, it's kind of like when you're trying to lead a cause or when you're trying to make change, you don't want to focus on the negative, which I get. A lot of us, when we're trying to make change, when we're trying to... Uh, 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 get something done for the better. A lot of times what happens is people try to find the negative to downplay our message that we're trying to to convey or get across, right? So when it came to something like this, which, which to be honest with you, with me, it, it seems interesting how this is the hill they decided to die on. Because this technically isn't their story. Like, I understand, like, they're like, oh, shit, it's like, it's like Wonder Woman, but black. You know, maybe we can, it's a true story. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, like Gal Gadot and all that shit. We could do, I mean, I don't know why these white women sound like uh, gangster rappers, but, you know, that <laughs> that's that's basically the idea. So this, is a, this is an opportunity for us to make a movie that empowers women in general, not just black women, but women in general. So I could see where they were coming from, but at the same time, it kind of just, it woman washes the story. You understand what I'm saying? Like a woman washes the story in a sense that that everyone that identifies as a woman that sees the movie, when they leave the theater, they feel like they can walk outside and lift an F-150. But the problem with that is that, for some people that is, it blatantly glosses over the crux of the Dahomey society just to push this message. So the question is, well, what is really the message? Because to the Dahomey tribe, they're not heroes you know they, they they were fantastical but then at the same time too neither is america you know we live in a country with a lot of blood on their hands america has slaves as well you know to be fair white people have been telling black stories for years um Rebecca Hall, a white woman, a white woman, wrote and directed a movie called Passing, which is an extremely black movie about colorism. 
Now, I don't know what Rebecca knows about colorism, but she knows enough to be able to make a movie and have it named in the top 10 films of 2001 by the African-American Film Critics Association. Sam Levinson, creator of Euphoria, White Man, uh, Rowan directed Malcolm and Marie, which starred John David Washington and Zendaya as a black, young black couple in Hollywood. Um, it was just weird. It was a weird movie, to be honest with you. The things they said, the fact that John David Washington ate Kraft Mac and Cheese and loved it. The fact that Zendaya went to bed without putting a bonnet on shows obviously this movie was made by a white person. Steven Spielberg got to direct The Color Purple and Amistad. Spike Lee didn't get a chance to make Schindler's List. Quentin Tarantino got to do Jackie Brown and he got to unchain Django. How many people went to see Nate Parker's Nat Turner turn up in The Birth of a Nation? I went to see it. I mean, I was like one of six people in the movie theater, but I went to see it. I didn't see it in 4DX. I saw it in in, in regular X theaters. Okay. Um, believe it or not, most of the black exploitation movies that were made in the 60s and 70s were directed by white directors. So this is nothing new. I mean, white people, you know, I think a white director made Coming to America as well. One and two. A white director made uh, Hustle and Flow. This is nothing new. It's nothing new at all. Um, of course, I do find it interesting that no white women directors are even touching the Emmett Till story. Uh, but, you know, that movie's coming out next month, so that's going to be a whole other discussion that we can have in a later episode. Point is, it's gotten to a point where you can either go see the movie or don't. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be on streaming in a couple weeks anyway. So, you know, either you can... Netflix and chill, you know, fellas, you can have your your uh, Nubian queen over and uh, while you guys are watching it, you guys, you can give her back shots and you can yell, I'm your king now. That's what you can do while you're watching uh, The Woman King or Ladies. Uh, you can be giving back shots to your man uh, or whatever and yell, I'm your woman king now. Or I don't know. I don't judge. I don't kink shame. You can do whatever you want. Now, if you're concerned about the general public knowing the true history of the Dahomey, you know what you can do? You can pick up a goddamn book. That's what you can do. You can Google the shit. Do research. Read to your children the history. Please, don't don't get all your information off social media. Don't do that. Don't get your information on, on Facebook. I was literally watching people online who didn't even know who the Dahomey were. They were saying, oh, don't see this movie. It's uh." It's a it's a misrepresentation of uh, African history and the slave chain, blah blah blah. But, but niggas don't even had, didn't even know who the Dahomey was. They're like Dahomey, Dahomey lived down the street, yo. Like that's what people were saying online. They didn't even know they were involved in the slave trade. That's not Viola Davis's fault. If you want to know more about the Dahomey tribe. There's a fantastic book that I actually read a few years ago called Kingdom of Dahomey, A History from Beginning to End. And it tells you all you need to know about the tribe from 60, whatever, whatever, to their demise in 1904. You know what? If you want better representation of an African nation, shit. Black Panther 2 comes out in November. So go see that. Another thing I think uh, we could do, because, you know, there's a lot of people that that complain about black representation in Hollywood, myself included. Um, support independent black creators. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that are working our asses off to create. There's, there's a ton. There's a ton of us 
that are doing the damn thing. And we don't get talked about much uh, because we're not what you call mainstream. Um, personally, I know a bunch of black creators. Um, Blap is an app that uh, pinpoints uh, where there's a local black business in your area. And that app was created by comedian John uh, Laster, who's a hilarious comedian in New York City. He created uh, he created the app. It's called Blap B L A P P. Go ahead, go to the App Store, download it, uh, support support the brother and his team. Uh, one of my favorite graphic novels actually is created by a black creator called Crescent City Monsters, uh, created by Newton. The Lovos, which, please forgive me if I don't pronounce your name correctly, Newton. But uh, this this is a whole series. This is fantastic uh, horror fantasy graphic novel featuring black people. It takes takes place in New Orleans. Uh, Tuskegee Airs, Flames of Destiny. I've been following these guys for years. Created by Marcus Williams and uh, Greg Burnham. I've been following these guys for at least six years. Tuskegee Airs, it's a uh, uh, high adventure uh, sci-fi fantasy comic book graphic novel series. Um, the Legend of uh, the Legacy of Orisha books by Tom uh, Tome, <laughs> sorry, Tommy Adeyeme. She's a Nigerian writer. I don't know if you can see them. You see them here and here. The books Children of uh, Blood and Bone. And Children of Virtue uh, and Vengeance, which actually, um, I believe she's working on the third book right now to complete the trilogy. Soon they're going to be a uh, a film series at Paramount Pictures. It's in development right now. Make sure you uh, buy those books. They're amazing. They're fantastic um, fantasy novels. They're like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, um, mixed in the one. Uh, this book, this is one of my favorite books, actually. Pimp My Airship. An Afrofuturistic sci-fi adventure book by uh, Maurice Brodus uh, takes place in a steampunk futuristic uh, Indianapolis. It's uh, it's Afrofuturistic. It's sci-fi. It's high action. Great, amazing characters. They spoke Chiva in it. Uh, they play jazz. There's poetry in it. Um, oh, per- my personal friend uh, Jason Primrose has written his own book called The Lost Children of Andromeda series. And actually this is interesting because it's a it's a part of a multimedia project that's going to involve the NFTs. There's going to be a graphic novel that's going to come out and other media as well. I think there's like cards and stuff too that you can also get. Yeah, here's like cards that feature the um, the characters that he created. Fantastic uh, sci-fi book in the vein of Blade Runner and Star Wars. I actually have some of the posters here on my wall behind me. Uh, I'm trying to support that way. Um, Concrete Park. Let me let me pull this up. I I have it on. Uh, I have it on my. Uh, Concrete Park. It's a graphic novel made by Erica Alexander, uh, Max off a living single. Robert Alexander, her brother, and Tony Poirier. Graphic novel focusing people of color. And, uh, shit, support me. Support me. Support my podcast. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Uh, follow me on Instagram uh, at Keenan J. Floyd, K E N A N. J-F-L-O-Y-D. Also uh, support my production company, Dangerously Awkward. Hold on a second. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, my production company. Hold on. Can you you see? This is more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, Dangerously Awkward. That's my company logo and shit. Uh, buy some shirts and make sure you go to our website, 
DangerousGocker.com and join the mailing list. We got some amazing projects actually coming out uh, soon. Announcements coming out soon. Instagram, website, support. We're out here. We're out here. We're out here trying to make things work. We're out here trying to turn the tide as far as creativity is concerned. Um, also, uh, follow my, uh, visit my website, keenanjeromefloyd.com, and join my mailing, mailing list so you can get an update on upcoming comedy tours, projects, and uh, new dances that I made up. <laughs> but those are just a few. Those are just a few ways that you can support uh, independent black creators that are out here doing the damn thing. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. I would also like to encourage you to write and create your own stories. Because what we're doing is we're, we complain about others telling our stories. But, you know, there's a lot of us that can actually kill it. We can actually do very well uh, taking the mantle ourselves and telling our own stories. Uh, because, you know, mental slavery in 2022 is the worst kind of slavery. As long as we wait around for other people to give us the opportunity or to tell our stories for us, we're only going to be setting ourselves up for disappointment. And to be honest with you, we can't really have it both ways. I'm of the ilk that you either we either do it or we don't. And what that means to me is... Either you're cool with other people fucking up our, our, our history or you're not and you're going to do it yourself. And when I say you, I don't mean like you, you know, personally, don't feel don't feel pressure. But I'm just saying. There's there's enough there's enough out here for all of us. Um, the question is. What's involved in creating great content, especially as a black creator? Well, I can't speak for everyone uh, because everyone's different, um, which should be enough of an answer. It's create whatever you want that's legal and do it well. Put your heart and soul into, uh, into doing it. Now, the conundrum that we have with social media is that it's really a tool of capitalism. So it emphasizes the importance of getting the bag, which means... Um, you have to be consistent. You have to be consistent in, 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 in your content, which means you might not have a, a lot of prep time. If you're organized, you will, but, but some of us, like myself, are not. Um, sometimes you feel rushed. I feel rushed all the time, and sometimes I'm not sure what I want to do or what I want to say. And... The truth of the matter is, is that most of these social media companies, they do not treat black creators well. As a matter of fact, uh, there's favoritism uh, to the Alabasters. They, they, the algorithm is in the favor of white creators. So what happens is, is that a lot of white creators steal from black creators and they profit off of it. And to be honest with you, it's getting to a point where we're somewhat com complacent in this as well um i blame the social media companies but i also blame our willingness to comply uh story time in 2020 i got on this app called clubhouse it's an audio app where instead of typing your thoughts you say them out loud and they sound just as stupid um so everyone was on it at the time and it was evident that they were trying to attract black creators to this app to get the pop. So there was a bunch of black creators in the music industry and in the entertainment industry that were creating different rooms, like the moan room, where you would go in and make sexual sounds and people would judge you. Um, there was debate rooms, uh, political rooms. But there was a particular uh, trend that started happening in the early days of Clubhouse called Shoot Your Shot. And it was actually created uh, by a group of black creators. And in the room, you would go in and spit game to anyone that you might have been interested in, either do a friendship shot or a romantic shot or whatever. But those rooms in the early days were actually being shadow banned 
by the algorithms of the app because the rooms were deemed too vulgar, right? So now let's fast forward a few months. Uh, A group of young white women from NYU started doing their own shoot your shot rooms, and they were called, I believe, shoot your shot at tech guys or tech boys or whatever, right? So it wasn't necessarily a exact ripoff of shoot your shot, but it was an exact ripoff of shoot your shot. And what ended up happening was that they were being lifted. Like people thought that these white women came up with shoot your shot. Like there was people on Twitter who were like, oh my God, these these girls are amazing. They actually came up with a nice way for us to get to know each other in clubhouse. It was like, please. There, black people have been doing shoot your shot for years, but people got scared because we're good at shit talking. So uh, these creators, they were getting Twitter love. Uh, they were uh, presented. They were featured in Forbes and Business Insider. The creators of the app were actually supporting this group of white creators that were the same people that shadow banned the black shoot your shot rooms were encouraging the white shoot your shot rooms. So it got to a point where the where the curators of the white shoot your shot rooms said, "We're going to try to monetize this," and that's when where I had the problem, because the issue that I had was if anyone is going to get financial benefit from this, it should be the original black creators. At least allow them to license it to you, right? But again, sometimes we don't think. A lot of times what happens is when we're working on social media and where we're trying to just get our name out there, we forget about the legality of things. We forget about that we can actually trademark things. We can uh, we can get copyrights. We can write things down on a piece of paper and, and, and get some sort of protection from it. Sometimes some people don't know. But a friend of mine, we made a big stake about it. We basically said, yo, if anyone's going to get money from this, it's going to be the black creators. So we started hosting rooms on Clubhouse. And we were explaining to people, we said, look, black people create this. Whoever created, whatever black creator, they should at least get like a co-creating credit and money. Or they should be given the first dibs to be able to monetize this. It shouldn't be these, these people that basically hijacked it. Now, of course... A lot of people got involved in these rooms and they kind of like hijacked our message and we got a little lost a little bit. But I remember it became such a big deal that they even wrote an article about it. They didn't mention us by name. They didn't mention the black creators by name either. They just talked about the they just talked about this conundrum of white creators hijacking black creations like it was something new. Which, again, this is that trendy shit where they try to do social justice and all that shit and try to make it seem like they care. They don't care. It's only for it was only for clickbait. So after all of that stuff happened, I remember I got a message on my Instagram from one of the so-called creators of Shoot Your Shot. And I'm actually going to I'm actually going to read it. Hold on. Hold on. And I'll, I will never, and I will never forget this. Never forget this. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here it, here it is. Here it is, okay. Um... All right, here it is. So this person says, so as the originator of Shoot Your Shot on Clubhouse, I'm curious what this and your CH icon is about. So we created an icon called uh, Protect Black Creators. That's what we called it. Um, I explained to her uh, why we were doing it. I said, uh, you know, well, we think that whoever is making... Uh, whoever is making, um, you know, making money off this should be the original creators. 
And she said, um, um, I said, uh, did you know that they stole the concept and that they were trying to make money off of it? And she says, no, because that was a big stake earlier in the week when so-and-so held a room and the girls asked Clubhouse to be connected to me. Um, and I said, oh, so they asked? And they said, yes, th- yeah, so-and-so has been hitting me about it. So then the same person, now this is a black person, by the way, that's messaging me. It's one of the black creators. They said, but I'm curious why the crusade. I started this and a lot of shit on Clubhouse. I did something else, the biggest thing on Clubhouse, yeah, and it doesn't necessarily yield benefits. I think people should put more energy in creating and building than fighting and correcting. Um, which is true, which is true. Um, but both things can be done. Both things can be done at once. Um, so the question is, why am I reading this? What's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal of this person sending me this message when it wasn't, uh, when it wasn't really a public thing, it wasn't trendy. It was just something we were doing because we thought that the black creators deserved to be compensated for their efforts. Well, a few weeks later, those white women all got represented by William Morris Endeavor to exclusively create shoot your shot content. Guess what happened? The same people in Clubhouse, they started making rooms talking about, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All these white creators keep uh, stealing our stuff and making money off of it. What are we going to do? And the same person that messaged me voluntarily on Instagram was in the room crying. Oh, we can't. Why are we? Oh, these white, they just keep stealing everything. All for clout. That's what happens. That's what happens. Nobody nobody really cares to make a difference because it's all about chasing the bag. People do things for free. And then when someone smarter than them says, oh, I'm going to take that and uh, I'm going to turn it into McDonald's. Oh, I'm going to take that and turn it into the iPhone. Then all of a sudden they want to complain. Oh, it's so hard being a black creator because people keep stealing our shit. Stop it. Because those of us that try that when, when it's not when nobody's looking, then we're rocking the boat. When nobody's looking, when 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 we don't have the spotlight on us, then all of a sudden we're causing trouble. But but when it's time for us to play victim, then it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look, look at us. We we need no stop. The reason we lose a lot of our content in reality is because we give it away. Like I said before, there's many ways that we can legally copyright and protect our content. It takes a lot of work. But if you don't do it. And if you don't protect yourself and you don't get the financial benefit, it get we can only complain about racism, capitalism, and the algorithm so much. Because the truth of the matter is we don't control any of that shit. We don't control any of that shit. And to a certain extent, even if we copyright it, we can't really we can't really control it. But at the same time, we can educate ourselves. We can figure out the best way to represent ourselves. We can figure out the best way to really get the benefit of all the work that we're done. The truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of us who get the opportunities to be a voice in these big, in these boardrooms. And sometimes we allow the notion of chasing the bag to cloud our judgment so that's why we see a lot of shit from our culture is being sold. That's how you end up getting a rapping AI robot created by a white dude that says the N-word over and over again. 
Why? Because this white dude uh, made a collection of rap lyrics from the last five years, fed it into an algorithm, and the AI basically put together uh, a hip-hop song regurgitating uh, all the shit that's been said over the last five, six, ten years. And the rap game is different now. Because we don't, for the most part, we don't run the rap game. For the most part, a lot of the new rappers that are rapping now, they don't live the lifestyle that they profess. Like when I was when I was a kid, I mean, rappers got in trouble, but it was like a handful of rappers were getting shot and killed. Now every week, it's a rapper. Not even 30 getting killed over some bullshit. But then they're taking that and they're putting it into an AI robot who's now, who got signed briefly by Capitol Records because it was popping. They don't even need us anymore to create our culture because we're giving it away. So then when a AI robot got signed to Capitol Records, then all of a sudden, uh, black Twitter exploded. Oh, no, they're stealing our stuff. We need to stop. Stop giving it away. I mean, I signed, you know, people signed the, peti- the petition and, and Capitol Records let the AI robot go. But it's like, how come there was an AI hip hop artist made? How come there was no AI black IT professional or AI black chess player created? I mean, that's a good question. That uh, that period uh, period uh, girl on TikTok. To me, that's verbal blackface. And I know some people online, you know, they see they see this white girl that's trying to rap that has the big eyelashes. And the hair and the pouty lips and stuff. And they're like, oh, this woman doesn't represent me. She doesn't represent black people. She doesn't. She doesn't. Let's, let's stop trying to p- stop it. You know what it is. You know she's representing a stereotype. You know what it is. You know, you know what it is. That's the image that's being sold in the media. That's what makes it like. Let's not let's not be naive. Let's not act like that that these people are just doing this shit on their own. They're emulating what they see, and we're making it viral. I mean, Cardi B reposted her. Uh, uh, Chloe Bailey reposted her. bunch of bunch of famous people reposted her. There was a rumor that she was uh, signed to Atlantic Records. We made her viral, giving her an, an opportunity to be signed by a label. Now, the reason of that is because now the entertainment industry is only looking at numbers. It's not looking at talent. This girl did the bare minimum. She doesn't even have lyrics to her song. She just says, period, uh, period, uh, for five minutes. That's all she does. And somehow she she got she could have gotten signed by a rap. Look, what is she gonna do at a concert? Say period uh period uh for three hours. There's this girl on uh there's this woman on uh uh TikTok named Crave Crystal. She's also a singer. A rapper, I believe. She went to the same Atlanta Records. Phenomenal. But they told her that her activism, her positive upbuilding of the black community would get in her way. I didn't say that. The record label said that. So what does that tell you? Making these people viral. I look. 
it kind of hits home to me because because this is definitely something this is definitely something that not all of us but some of us do and we just need to we just need to realize that it's a thing you 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 can't give it up too easily it's like we give it up to these creators that mock us but when it comes to us for some reason we have to be extremely critical of the content that we create um, I remember uh, when I first started doing comedy, I uh, I did a lot of shows in New York. And one show I did uh, was, uh, it, it was in East New York, Brooklyn. And I said the word cul-de-sac and lost the crowd. After me, a white dude got up. He had on like a backwards hat and a humongous like jersey shirt. And he got up. He's like, yo, you dig? You know, I may be white, but I'm black from the waist down. I love the sisters. And the audience was like, aha, this crack is hilarious. I only said cul-de-sac. I didn't. I said I lived in the cul-de-sac. And they didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. But the fact that I used a big word, I was I was not cool or whatever, right? The bare minimum. The bare minimum. And we sopped that shit up like gravy on a biscuit. So I'm so eventually I truly found my voice and my audience. They were, you know, that was that audience. That's not the black audience. Because now I have a lot of fans that are just like me. And I respect them and they respect me. Um, you know, I had to take responsibility to the type of jokes I was telling. I had to take responsibility for my own content I was creating. I had to take responsibility for as much uh, effort I was putting in to trying to be a funny comedian. So at the end of the day, it eventually paid off. And I can go back to those rooms and get the laughs that I think I should be getting from my jokes. But again, we can't be celebrating the bare minimum. It's going to keep us running around in circles. It's almost like psychological warfare, in my opinion. Um... I think we're in the middle of a psychological war, to be to be honest with you. You know, after slavery, the government used, will always use one of our own to infiltrate our movements to try to bring us down, especially the FBI. Uh, James Wormley Jones, which is a perfect name, by the way, was the first black FBI agent, and he was used to infiltrate the Universal Negro Improvement Association. which was started by Marcus Garvey. And the fact that uh, Agent Jones infiltrated this movement, it led to the arrest and trial of Marcus Garvey on mail fraud charges. William O'Neill was an FBI informant who was used to infiltrate the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, which led to the assassination of Fred Hampton who was 21 years old. And he was leading a positive change in his community in Chicago. So, you know, during the pandemic, um, we were in the house a lot. We were listening to clubhouse rooms and podcasts with content careers, black content careers at that, dogging our own people, dogging ourselves. You know, on YouTube, you at the dark side of the black manosphere and the divesters uh, just arguing about why black people aren't, the, aren't getting married and we don't have money and we're broke and black women are this and black men are that. Um, you know, we need to get yourself a white woman and you need to get yourself a white man because they know how to take care of their people. They got money. They don't have problems. They don't have this. They don't have that. I want mulatto babies. That's what the algorithm was pushing. It started pushing. That's all. It's all that that I was hearing, right? And eventually, what happens 
is it becomes poison. It poisons your heart and you start regurgitating it out. And then you end up building toxic relationships in real life. When I, when the truth of the matter is this stuff on social media, this YouTube shit, it's all fake. It's not real. Um, and I can say that from personal experience. I have plenty of friends of different financial classes. Um, I'm a part of an investment group here in Los Angeles. Uh, black people, black men, all married to black women. I went to a uh, party on the, on the beach once. Uh, a few weeks ago, that had African-American professionals, football players, uh, upper-class black folks, investors, real estate people, tech investors, all that shit, right? They were all there with their black wives and children. I mean, maybe there was one dude there with a white girl, but for the most part, everyone there was with black wives. So this so this whole thing of, well, wouldn't black men get, get money? You know, they go with white women. That's not true. When I went to see the Woman King, I went with uh, other uh, black folks that were in production. All black people, black couples, everything. So what we're being told or what we're being fed is only for clickbait. It's not real. It doesn't show reality. But for unfortunately, for a lot of us, it is reality. And... Um, to be honest with you, a lot of people that create this content and a lot of people that listen to this content, frankly, are miserable losers. And they're projecting their misery on other people so that we're all miserable. Just look at the way that the industry is made up. You have people like Cardi B, Sukihana, Beyonce, Meg Thee Stallion, Baby, Nick Cannon, all these people trying to tell us uh, to be fuck nigga free. Uh, uh, don't give, don't give a fuck about, uh, a bitch, uh, uh, have a bunch of kids to get, you know, just uh, nobody, no, nobody, nobody's worthy. Everybody sucks. Everyone ain't shit. Um, but the truth of the matter is those people that create that content, they don't live the lives that they're promoting in their music or in their content. Meg the Stallion is in a relationship. She's she's a huge nerd that likes anime. She's in a relationship. Beyonce's married with kids. Cardi B's married with kids. But what they're promoting, what they're the the image that they're promoting, is that we don't need each other. I mean, again, I don't, that's not necessarily that's not necessarily like Beyonce. That's not necessarily Meg the Stallion either. But I'm just saying, like like. The, the parts that people are gra- that a lot of people gravitate to or the we don't need each other get the bag fuck these hoes but they're not even living that life they're very much in a family unit especially Nick Cannon this nigga trying to fill up an arc with, with his babies um but <laughs> They continue making money when we're miserable because miserable people buy content or they watch content. So again, if you're a black creator and you want to make something that pops, do whatever you want. I I don't care. Do whatever you want. But remember... That the trends are for today, but if you do something for yourself, it's forever. And this message was brought to you by Rap Snacks, which you can find at your local Armenian liquor store. This has been Cultured.
Me too. 